Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording on May 6th. So hello, Erica. Hi, Tirza. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Excited to talk about the book. Excited to talk to you again. All the fun things, even though it's yeah. like dreary over here. But oh no, yeah, this conversation is my sunshine. <laughs> Yay! I love, I love that idea. I love that YA conversation can bring a spot of brightness in your mm-hmm. lives because um, I love YA. So I'm excited too because we're gonna be doing something a little bit different, and we're gonna be talking about a specific book that we have both read, and that book is Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alkoff, and it's going to be a spoilerly discussion. Is spoilerly a word? I just made that up. It is <laughs> ten points in Scrabble. Well, thank you. <laughs> Do not listen to us when we, um, you know, give each other points for Scrabble because okay. we don't have a Scrabble board ahead of us. But <laughs> I made it up. <laughs> we're, it's great. Yeah. All right. Before we get started, it is time for our every few years listener survey. So if you would be so kind, take a few minutes to come tell us about what kind of podcast content you like and what you'd like to see more of or less of from us. Just go to bookriot.com slash listener survey to fill out the survey and you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice. That's bookriot.com slash listener survey. And there's also a link in the show notes. Thank you so much. So yeah, we're going to be discussing that book in depth because we realize that we just both like talking about the same stuff. So uh, we're going to do that. But first, we are also going to bring you some news in the book world. So the piece of news that I'm excited about, because keep in mind, we're recording on May 6th, is that the Netflix adaptation of Along for the Ride by Sarah Dessen is on Netflix today. Nice. And I'm very excited. Nice. Did you have you ever read Sarah Dessen or did you read Along for the Ride? I have not read it. Okay. I have not read Sarah Dessen either in general. Okay. I, you know, Sarah Dessen, I have not read some of her latest work, but I think if you are a millennial YA reader at all, like mm-hmm. you grew up with Sarah Dessen. Her first book came out in 97. She, you know, she continues to publish a book every few years. She has oh, nice. a lot of books. And what's cool about her books, and I kind of think of her as like, you know, one of the gold standards in contemporary YA is all of her books are usually set in and around this fictional beach town of Colby, North Carolina, or like Chapel Hill. So they have like a very specific like sense of setting. And because mm-hmm. she sets a lot of her books in Colby, you see like little Easter eggs and nods to her other stories and other <sighs> books kind of woven throughout her entire body of work. And that's really fun. That's cute. It is cute. I will say, and I see Along for the Ride came out in 2009. Yes. Um, So I definitely was not only reading YA, but I was like the target YA audience at that time. So it's interesting. I never really read like romance like that. I feel like I really, like as far as YA was concerned, I read a lot of YA fantasy, which is interesting considering the conversation we had before (laughs) before we started recording. So I did, I missed, 
I missed Miss Dessen, but I'm excited for her adaptation. She's so. she's lovely. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, so Along for the Ride, it's a story. Um, now I'm like, keep in mind that I'm going off of like my memory of when I read the book in 2009 and I haven't right. picked it up since. Mm-hmm. And also the trailer I've seen. But it's basically about this teenage girl named Auden, after the poet Auden, who if I recall correctly, is uncertain about her future. She lives with her mom, I think, in um, Chapel Hill. And her dad and her stepmom and their new baby live in Colby. And she goes and she lives with them in Colby for the summer. I think it's like the summer before college. And um, she's an insomniac. And so she kind of like discovers Colby's like night scene, which makes it sound like it's a club scene. But it's more like, (laughs) you know, the people who kind of exist in this town after dark. So I think that the trailer looks really adorable. It's really exciting to see this come to the big, a big small screen. I, Netflix, it feels like a big screen, even if it's not like a literal big screen. <laughs> that's so. so true. It does feel that's a good description. I think I think with the streaming services becoming so popular, I think that whole like the small screen and big screen has kind of like changed a bit. So yeah, it's blurred a little bit. So. But I'm really glad also that you brought up the fact that this book was published in 2009 Mm -hmm. because you want to know what else was published in 2009 that is getting a adaptation this year is Jenny Hans to all the boys I've loved before. You know, she of that fame, Um, her very first YA novel, The Summer I Turned Pretty, is getting an adaptation that's releasing on Amazon Prime next month. And I'm also really excited for this one because I remember reading The Summer I Turned Pretty when it came out and it has two sequels. So it's going to be an Amazon Prime TV show. And I think it's like eight episodes. And I think that the TV show is a perfect format for this series because Mm -hmm. it's the story of a teenage girl and her brother and mom. Every summer they spend it at her mom's best friend's lake house and her mom's best friend, or no, I'm sorry, not lake house. It's a beach house actually on the ocean. And her um, mom's best friend has two boys um, around her age. And she's always been in love with one of them. And this is like the summer that they notice that she's pretty and what happens and it is like perfectly angsty with all the feels. So it's kind of, it definitely feels very much like a blast from the past to see these yeah. like rom-com and not even comedies, but like romances and, you know, that I was reading when I was like 17. Now they're on the screen. It's interesting that they're, oh, by the way, excellent segue, Tirza. That was perfect. Perfectly <laughs> executed. You know what else is? <laughs> um, but it's interesting. I mean, we had a whole episode on um, adaptations. It's interesting that they're choosing books from that long ago. And I mean, it's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, but there are many YA books being released, you know, every year. Yeah. So it's interesting that they... That they went for older books. I wonder if it's because, and this is like total, you know, like speculation on my part, mm-hmm. but I wonder if it's because these books, first of all, were really popular when they came out. Yeah. And I have no idea like what their sales numbers or anything like that. I can't even remember if they hit the New York Times bestseller list, but suffice to say they were very popular. And 
they are written by authors who've continued to publish. Right. And whose books continue to be really popular. And they've never, I think, really ever gone out of print. So I I think, you know, we know, I don't know much about Hollywood, but I do know that Hollywood likes some buzz before they latch on to something. Definitely. And I think it's really telling that they, you know, pick up these stories that have really endured for over 10 years in the YA world and continue to um, have an audience. And I guess the perk about adapting books that are 13 years old is that, you know, all the 30 year olds who read them when, you know, we were actually in high school are like, oh, that's now on, you know, Netflix, I'm going to watch it. And you're also getting a new audience in the teenagers today. So I felt very old saying that sentence. But um, that (laughs) is what I think is. (laughs) I'm so sorry. No, I think that's probably what it is, though. So, but it's interesting. I'm excited. I give me all the fun romantic mm, YA adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because, again, like I said, when I was that age, I was not reading romance much. I I appreciated the romance I found in my fantasy uh, YA fantasy books, but yes. it'll be interesting to watch it now. Exactly. At my big age, as you said. <laughs> so yeah, that is exciting. So- so yes, um, if you watch those or if you watch along for the ride and the summer I turned pretty comes out next month, definitely let us know what you think uh, because we're really excited. Mm-hmm. But we are going to get into our conversation about Queen of the Tiles, which is completely different genre. It's a brand new book. Uh, but first, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Queen of the Tiles. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I have to confess that I just, well, not just, but like I, it took me a minute to get like the play on words with the title. It, like Queen of the Nile, Queen of the Tiles. Did <laughs> you get that tiles. immediately? Yeah. Like um, no, I did. Cleopatra. <laughs> okay, I was <laughs> like, oh, I just got it. Not not like within this conversation, but when I understood, I was like, oh, I just got it. Like I had started reading yeah. the book. My uh, my grandmother, who is from Nashville, Tennessee, it's funny. She has all these like sayings and stuff, uh, witticisms. <laughs> <laughs> when she was like, when she would talk mess about someone, um, she'd be like, oh, call her Cleopatra because she's queen of denial. <laughs> <laughs> thought I would share that. Okay. So anyway, how should we start? Do we want to recap things or do we just want to start off with what our general overall take? 
Um, I will, I'll give like a little quick sort of pitch, yeah. especially in case there are people listening who are, you know, want to know more about the book and don't mind spoilers, in which yeah. case I do not understand your kind, but I will oblige you. <laughs> you're very foreign to me, but we're all, well, you're welcome here. <laughs> yes. So Queen of the Tiles starts with sort of a prologue and it's from the perspective I mean, it's told in third person, but sort of kind of from the perspective of Trina, who is the reigning queen of the tiles in a competitive Scrabble circuit in Malaysia. And it's for teenagers. And, you know, you get a sense of her personality. She's very confident. She likes to kind of bait her competitors and wind them up. And she's playing against somebody who's very serious and and very by the book and, it becomes clear throughout the course of their uh, match that she's having a rough time just like physically, you know, she, she's not feeling so hot. And then at a pivotal moment, she falls forward, face plants on the board and she's dead Mm. to a completely shocked audience. Mm -hmm. And so that happens a year before the book really starts. And so it picks up again, almost exactly a year later with, Trina's best friend, Najwa, and she has been away from the competitive Scrabble circuit for an entire year. She's, you know, grieving her best friend's death. She's got a lot of anxiety that she's dealing with, and um, she decides to return for some closure, for some catharsis. And over the course of this weekend Scrabble tournament, which has very few parents, it's like the parents just kind of like drop them off and are like, hey, have fun. We'll see you on Sunday. Survive. <laughs> right. Which is wild to me. But anywho. Yeah. So over the course of the the weekend, they start to notice that Trina's Instagram account, which has been dormant for a year since, since her death, all of a sudden it's posting new updates. And she's posting like these tile racks where you know with all these different letters and if you put the letters together to words it gives hints that suggest that perhaps she was murdered Mm -hmm. and so that really kicks off the mystery of what really happened to trina who might have been responsible for her death and what do they want next what do they want from us yes yes excellent summary excellent summary yeah so yeah i really liked the, of course, like, I really like the setting. I thought the setting was really cool. I don't read yes. about many stories in Malaysia. I have no, I have no knowledge of Malaysia basically at all. So it was really cool seeing all there were, there seemed to be a lot of different Asian ethnicities represented there. You have Indian, Chinese, Singaporean, you know, native Malaysian, of course. You have a mix of religions. Najwa wears a hijab. And they, they like pray and stuff like that. They talk about praying. And I thought that was really cool. I agree. I feel like so much of YA that is set outside of the US. Mm-hmm. And we even had like, because, okay, so the YA market, especially in the United States, is hugely oversaturated, which right. I mean, I don't mean that as like a bad thing necessarily, because clearly there's a market for YA. People love it. Mm-hmm. A lot of books get published. But the 
sort of flip side of that is like you get a lot of very strong US centric perspectives so much to the point that like a couple of years ago when we were doing the um, read harder challenge we actually made it a challenge that you had to read a contemporary YA novel that was not set in the US Canada or UK because those tend to be like the most popular settings yeah and it was not impossible, but like a little bit difficult to find books with that perspective. And part of the challenge was that when you do find books that aren't set in those three countries, they tend to be books written by either Americans or immigrants who to the United States who, you know, are American, but then they are writing about like what it's like for American teenagers to go abroad and experience a different country. So you don't really get like, it's still like a very, you know, American sort of perspective. Yeah. And I really appreciated that this book was clearly not an American perspective. It was, you know, even like the way that the teens talk and interact with each other. I was going to say that. Yeah. It didn't quite feel like how I would recognize that like American teens talk. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean it in, like, an unrealistic way. It's just, like, their speech patterns and the words they use. It's different, which makes sense because you would think that teens in Malaysia would talk differently than teens in the U.S. So I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, and I liked, uh, speaking of language and how they how they spoke in the book, I like how, I guess, Malaysian, I didn't see, a, like, a, um, a dictionary or anything, but there were some phrases throughout, and they didn't really, like, the author didn't give exact, like, direct definitions for the phrases that were not English, but they did kind of say, like, using the context, you could kind of tell what was being said. And I also like, um, I know like some Spanish speakers, for instance, who are American say they might say they speak like Spanglish, which is a mix of English and Spanish. And I feel like they were kind of in the book sometimes uh, speaking like a mix of the other language in English, which I believe is Malaysian, Mm -hmm. but I have not confirmed. I believe it is. And it was just, it was interesting too, because it's like you said, it was kind of like merging those two languages created like a different speech pattern. And it started to feel natural for me as someone who has no idea of the language, you know, so I thought that was a cool, a really cool addition. I agree. I feel like there's been just a big sort of encouraging shift for writers. I mean, at least this is something that I see gets discussed in like the YA writers um, circles Mm -hmm. and creative writing where like you don't have to italicize words in a different language. And you don't also have to like give direct, you know, word for word translations. Like you can sometimes just drop it in there and, you know, the context clues allow you if you're not if the reader's not going to stop and like look up the translation you know you you're not losing anything because you get enough context that you're like oh that's kind of what that means but like also let's be real everybody has their phones you can do a quick google translate search if you really really want to know but it does feel a little bit more just i guess you know realistic to certain Mm -hmm. characters realistic to you know the lived experiences of bilingual folks and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not bilingual so I'm, I'm just kind of going out on a limb here to assume but yeah it was really neat to see that and I appreciate that we get like I said you know and, and this is not a book that's you know set in the western European world this is it's just really cool to see okay this is how a bunch of Asian teens who get together for a Scrabble tournament live and and that's really interesting so yeah and the food too mm. it, it, 
talks about without overexplaining, similar to what I was saying about overly explaining the translations and stuff and makes it feel more natural, like you were just saying. The food and stuff, you know, a lot of some things that I've never heard of, um, they were spoken about like they were, you know, things that they normally eat. So that's another way of like basically building this world for me as someone who's never been to Malaysia. I'm having this world of Malaysian teens built around me and I'm kind of just like immersed in it. And it was really cool to see, looked up some of the food and stuff. And I was like, okay, this is what they eat. That's cool. Funnily enough, because you were just talking about how, you know, this is not from an American perspective, but there was that American restaurant they went to. Yes. And that was hilarious. And it's funny because I recently saw a video or something, or maybe like a BuzzFeed article where it was talking about like like American restaurants in other countries or American food or whatever. And then I read that and I was like, yeah, that, that so people do that. That's so funny. Yeah, that was really funny scene, especially I think if you're American and reading this and you have a good sense of humor. <laughs> yes. Um, reading about, yeah, like what is a stereotypical American restaurant experience? And I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like that is my real experience going out to eat. But Not like I can see where the stereotypes come from. And it's really funny. Yeah, it was funny. It was like a it was like a diner. It was like a 1950s diner. I was about to say, yeah, that's that whole, and I'm like, that is a common, a common idea of Amer, like Americana stuff. And they had these overly sweet, super huge uh, milkshakes with no straw and burgers. Yeah. And it's like, okay, definitely don't eat that. Um, but yeah, it is funny to see how we're, how we're interpreted other places. Yes. Let's talk about the Scrabble aspects, because obviously I think that was like the big hook for me when I first heard about this book, because... Definitely for me as well. Yeah, huge word nerd here. Um, Do you play Scrabble a lot? Tirza, I never play Scrabble ever. Uh, I feel okay, I'm the same way. Yeah, here's the thing, like, I love words. I love words. I love reading about the words, like... I, you know, was talk, uh, thinking of, um, I know we were talking about writing some favorite words or whatever, and I stopped at a few because I was like, oh, that's enough. Um, I love like the etymology of them and, you know, all that good stuff. But for me, I think this is a personal thing. Um, just like with chess, I have a hard time kind of visualizing things. So yeah. I have a hard time like, vi- yeah, I would have a hard time like kind of visualizing uh, words that were longer than like four letters or something. It's hard <laughs> for me. I got ADHD. It's difficult. Yeah. I love Scrabble. Like, my some of my fondest memories as a kid was whenever I would go over to my grandma's house. She had, like, you know, a Scrabble board from... I don't even know when Scrabble was invented. But it was, like, a total retro, (laughs) genuinely old Scrabble board. You know, Scrabble board with all the tiles. And we would play. And I loved it so much. And she enjoyed playing with me. And then, like, there was never... Like, I've never had anybody in my life that, like, wants to play Scrabble with me. Like, I that sounds a little pathetic. But, like, my partner does not like playing word games. um, Which is funny because I turned them on to Wordle. Yeah. But we, like, we've, I don't even own a Scrabble board. I would love to have a Scrabble board and have somebody, like, to play with me frequently. So I was like, I'm going to live out all my Scrabble fantasies while reading this book. <laughs> and then I was reading this book and I was like, damn, these teens are, like, so far ahead of me. Like, whoa. Okay, okay. I was like, I haven't played Scrabble in a minute. I used to play, I used to play Scrabble more so at school. 
Um, and I remember liking it. And then I was like reading about Najwa loving Scrabble and everyone else being really passionate about it. Like before they started playing, I was like, ooh, I want to play Scrabble again. Like I haven't played that in a while, even though I'm like kind of low-key bad with visualizing, like I said. I was like, ooh. And then they started playing the words. I was like, hold up a second. <laughs> um, where did, who? I'm like, Syzygy. I don't know her. You know what I mean? Like, who is I that? I know. I'm like, okay. I so I, I'm like, I guess I am bad at Scrabble, but I still wanted to like play it. I would totally play Scrabble with you. I would definitely do that. I would play Scrabble with you too. Oh my so. gosh. Okay. So we're going to have to have like a meetup where we play Scrabble. It will be awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel the same way. Like when I play Scrabble, I I don't get as inventive as they are. Uh, They're like, yeah. The words at my disposal are like the words that I would use in an average day. Yeah. And I'm not using syzygy in an average day. Yeah. I didn't even know what that word was until... Exactly. I I read it in this book. I had to write it down. I was like, I like that. There's a lot of Zs and Ys and it's just interesting looking. I'm glad you were the first person to pronounce that because I looked at that and I was like, I... No. I was no. listening to the audiobook. That's why it's funny. I was like driving because I, I like to listen to audiobooks and read print when I can. And so that's what I did with this book. And uh, I was like, I was driving somewhere and I was like, oh, I got to write that down. And how it how I heard it because I heard it first. The audiobook, how I heard it is not how I thought it was spelled at all. I was like, so when I was looking through the book to find it, I was like, I know it was in this chapter. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's it? That's not what I, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I thought it was. Not at all. Yes. So if you are also just listening and you have not laid eyes on this word, it is spelled S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Yeah. That's a lot of whys. <laughs> it's a lot. Interesting and cursive. And it means a conjunction or opposition, especially of the moon with the sun, which I like that. That's cool. I like that, too. It's very, like, celestial. I like it. I was like, ooh, I like this. I learned some good words in this book because every chapter starts out with a word and it's Scrabble points and part of speech and then a definition. And one of my favorite ones was mumpsimus. I Which think means I an op- remember that. Yes. It's an opinion held obstinately, in which case I have many mumps and musses about <laughs> lots of things. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually it the plural version of like that word. something you need like a vaccine against. It's know, just like right? it's, she's got measles, mumps, and mumps. <laughs> like. <laughs> oh my gosh. But words, they're so much fun. They're fun. And I just love that we read an entire book about teens about who were really passionate about words. Yeah. Like, that just brings happiness to my heart. I loved it. Yeah. It was it was a really fun read from that perspective. Like, I just, I so enjoyed the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the setting. There's a lot of really different interesting characters, like you said, from just, like, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And everybody has really interesting backgrounds. And then you get, like, all the word nerd stuff in there. And I think one thing that I was really impressed by, too, was you would think that, like, I mean, Scrabble is such a visual thing. Yeah. And so this is a Scrabble tournament where, like, they're just kind of sitting around playing Scrabble. And they're like, how do you make that exciting? But the author, the way she wrote the Scrabble matches, really, it was very exciting. That's so true. She wrote them like the, it was like it was like watching figure skating or a ballerina or someone. It was like how she described 
like the board and I gracefully maneuver the board and people would yeah. get up after games and be like, the board is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was like, yes, yes it is. Yes it is. Because the words, it's so beautiful. It made me wonder if like the author, while she was writing this book, like had a Scrabble board right next to her and was like playing things, yeah. you know, to, to just kind of visualize it. Because that's what I would have to do if I, I would were definitely. writing about Scrabble. Yeah. And I don't even know that I could even get to, I don't know how. I do love, <laughs> I really love the idea. And I'm like, I'm grown, but can I do this? Like, I want to go away for a weekend and be around other word nerds or just general whatever kind of nerds and just be really super immersed in our nerdy thing. Yes. And just, you know, it sounds it sounded like a nice getaway apart from the death. Yeah. So if we could do all that without the death and suspicion, that would be great. Thank you so much. <laughs> exactly. We're like no death, no suspicion. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So Okay, I think we should talk then about the mystery aspect. But before we do that, we do have to break for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused. And it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to WW Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. All right, so the mystery aspect, which of course is like the other part that was really appealing to me because I love mysteries, as yeah. I think has been well established. Yes, same. So I'm not even sure how to approach this, hmm. but like, what did you think of the mystery, I guess? Okay. So yes, yeah, like as you said before, a few minutes before in your summary, Trina kind of just drops dead, basically during a um, Scrabble match with this guy, Josh. And after she does, like, after she collapses on the board or whatever, Josh is like, ooh, did I win? And so he's set up as this, like, terrible person. Okay, so I had had asked you this, because I was like, (laughs) you know, sometimes when I read audio, listen to audiobooks, rather, sometimes I might forget a detail, even if I think that I got everything. Sometimes some things still slip through the cracks. And I was like, did I miss the autopsy that they did? Because people were talking about how Trina Lowe, um, she was healthy, she was young, you know, didn't have any pre-existing conditions, but she just dropped dead during this uh, Scrabble tournament. So I was like, did I miss miss the autopsy? Because I'm like, okay, you have these teens trying to, you know, amateur sleuth it out or whatever, which is cool. I love a good mystery. (laughs) But I'm like, so wait, where are the adults and the authorities? Where are they? Yeah. And I I think, like, okay, first of all, 
I love the setup and I love the idea of like, yeah, the queen of the tiles dies. And then like a year later, they're like, oh, is it actually murder? And then they have to yeah. investigate. Awesome. Um, but I was with you. Yeah. <laughs> like my my major quibble with this setup was that was very much like not clear. And it was kind of like glazed over. Yeah. And because I had similar, like it, it's funny because you put in our, you know, our pl- planning document, like this question. And I was like, no, you didn't miss it because I missed it too. <laughs> and so then I went back and I was like rereading. And yeah. so, yeah, my, my one quibble with this book is that, yeah, like, you know that Trina just drops dead and she's mm-hmm. young and healthy and, like, everybody just kind of accepts that, like, oh, she just drops dead. Like, it, it happens sometimes. And it's like, no, not really, no, sis. not really. No. Like, yeah. So not there really. is, there is not much, like, questioning of her death in, like, the first half of the book, even when um, Najwa's, like, reflecting on the fallout of her death. Yeah. And, like, her, her limited interactions with Trina's parents after the fact. And and that actually was really bothering me because I love mysteries, but, like, I want to know all the information that is at my disposal when we're going into the setup. And it just, it felt a little weird to me that Najwa was her best friend and was gutted by this and was like, how could this happen? But she didn't, like, know, like, was there an autopsy? And I I do think, I mean, unless I'm vastly misunderstanding how, like, sudden deaths might work in this particular you know, area. Like, yeah. I do think that's, they probably would have been like, um, no, let's get an autopsy because healthy people don't just die. Yeah. I would think that they would, they being the authorities or whomever, coroner's office, they would sooner Even give her, her an op. Yeah. The parents too. I feel like they would sooner give Trina, um, low, um, have an autopsy on her, you know, body before like yeah. someone who was like 40, even 40 is not old or elder, whatever. Um, yeah, but someone but an older. older person. Yeah, because it's yeah. like, okay, why did this girl die? Okay, okay, good. So I was like, am I, did I just really, like, really skim over this? I like, speaking yeah. of our, like, little planning document, I wrote the question down and Tears have said, LOL, nope. <laughs> yes. Like, no, we <laughs> didn't perfect. miss anything. I, was, I also had that question. I'm like, okay, um, perfect. And that a lot hinges on that. Yes. No, I was you, what you said was correct. And I was going to say there is a throwaway line in like this last hundred pages or so when Najwa was like reflecting on the case. And she she does say something to the effect of like, well, the authorities decided that it was a you know, it wasn't a suspicious death. Oh. And, like that's all she really says about it. Um, but again, okay. I was like, well, why? Why? Why not? Because not only. Do I think is it suspicious that somebody were to just drop dead, especially if they were healthy, um, and then like not do any follow up? But it, her her death was like a very dramatic thing, and it happened like while everybody was kind of focusing in on this very dramatic match. So like all the circumstances didn't really align for me to like believe that nobody would be like, um, you should do an autopsy, even just for peace of mind for the parents. Um, yeah. However, like like what you said. If, if they had done an autopsy, then a lot of the mystery, like, the wind would have been taken out of the sails because yeah. at the beginning of the book, everybody just assumes that it was an accident and the, you know, reappearance of her Instagram account is what, like, makes them think that, like, maybe it wasn't an accident. Yeah. And I also think, like, if there had been an autopsy back then, you know, they would have figured it all out. It wouldn't have been, like, a year later that this whole mystery kicks off. So I... 
Yeah, I do understand, like, why that played out. Um, So I think if you read this book, that aspect requires just, like, a little bit of suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Which I was happy to suspend because I was like, let's see what happens. And that was kind of fun. So then it becomes more so, like, and I'll just add one more piece to that autopsy thing, puzzle. Her, Trina, that is, and a few other kids there were, they came from, like, privileged backgrounds. And it seemed like they had their parents had money, and I think her mm-hmm. her mother was like a high power attorney or something like that, if I recall correctly. Trina's mother, and so just another point in that, like I'm like, you know, to be real, you know, if you're rich, you're privileged, you can have things, you know, you can uh, pay for things more. So I would just think that even with that, they would have like an autopsy and more formal, yeah, evidence. But as you said. So if you still want to read the book, you know, you do have to suspend belief for that. So in doing that, it starts to become more so like, okay, who is who is um, messaging people on Instagram from her account? So then it's like, yeah, the mystery kind of shifts to that. Like, okay, so who is this? Yes, totally. And, and that was interesting. And in that aspect, like, I really enjoyed the mystery setup because I feel like the author did such a good job of like introducing us to like this wide cast of characters Mm -hmm. that um, Najwa, like some of them she knows really well because she sees them on the Scrabble tournament circuit. Some of them she doesn't know quite as well, but like she kind of, she identifies them by like their tells for when they're playing. And she like recognizes like, this is, you know, so-and-so he's from, you know, this place. And you know, his he's kind of a good Scrabble player, but he's not so great at these other things. And and so you kind of get like the whole setup of all the people. And then once she realizes that, you know, Trina was probably murdered, then she's like, oh, everybody's a suspect. And yeah. then you start to investigate. And that kind of felt a little bit like, you know, the classic sort of Agatha mystery, mm-hmm. Ag- Agatha Christie mystery setup that I really enjoy. Because much of the book is her going around sort of sussing out people's secrets and figuring out where exactly they were at what time and building this timeline, which was really, really interesting. And it was kind of a fun little twist. Definitely. I will say, too, another um, point that it doesn't really have to do with the mystery, mystery, but more so like the words and stuff. I liked how Najwa, the main character, I like how she linked words that came up with as far as like Scrabble, like when she was playing Scrabble, or just in conversation, she would link it to something that she was experiencing at the moment or something that was pertinent to the moment. And I really like that because it kind of just like is like how memory works. And it's also kind of like how I remember word meetings and stuff like that. And I just thought that was like, cool I maybe because I do it so I'm like oh that's kind of like that reminds me of this and like you know I thought that was a cute aspect I just wanted to say that from before I meant to say that earlier when we were talking about the words but I did really like that and you're right I like how how the author chose to explain people's personalities and stuff um it didn't feel too heavy-handed I guess because Naja was talking about tells which are like a psychological thing a behavioral thing so um, and she was trying to suss out her potential opponents in the Scrabble tournament. And that ended up being handy for this, you know, murder investigation. So I did like that as well. 
Yeah, it was fun. It was, it it felt very natural to Mm -hmm. her character that like, that's what she would notice because she does, because she's such a competitive player, she does notice people's tells. So I always appreciate it when, especially when you have like an amateur sleuth, which most YA mysteries feature amateur sleuths because most YA mysteries don't you know, star teenagers who are actually like police officers or Naturally. private investigators because <laughs> yeah. they're teens. Um, so, you know, you want to like make sure that, you know, the character's investigating a mystery from their own unique perspective. And I thought that that was done really well. Yeah. Now let's talk about some spicy things. <laughs> All right. Some little spice, some little saison, you know, <laughs> little problematic things. What did you think of Mark? Oh, Mark. I mean, I... At first, I was just like, okay, I'm not sure what to make of him because Najwa was kind of keeping her distance from him. Yeah. And she, you know, was reluctant to kind of, like, engage with him in part because, you know, she felt like he wasn't properly mourning her best friend. But then the more you got to know him, I was like, oh, she's keeping away from him because she secretly likes him and like it's painful oh let me interject real quick i'm sorry to cut you up mark oh yeah was trina's boyfriend when she died yes and mark it's kind of hinted at or well it's confirmed kind of i think that mark cheated on his ex-girlfriend pootery with trina and then trina and mark started dating And since the year has passed, uh, since Trina's death, Mark has been, like, dating all these other, like, a string of other girls. Yes. So that's why Najwa is like, oh, he doesn't care. Yeah. So I kind of thought, like, okay, he can't just be a player. Like, there's got to be more to him than that. And then I actually started to really like him, especially, and I felt more sympathetic once I learned that, like, Najwa had this secret crush on him. But Trina, who is, like, the more bubbly and outgoing character who always gets what she wants, of course, she got to him first. Mm -hmm. But I have to admit, I was completely and utterly soured and turned off by his character because there's a flashback Mm. where he sees Trina hanging out with Najwa and she's wearing like super short shorts and a really tiny top and he totally slut shames her and I was like "Mm, don't like this guy and there's never a moment where he kind of comes back from that it's just like something that happens and then it's never addressed again so like you know maybe some teenagers would just like oh he was just really upset but like me as an adult I'm like "Mm, bad news stay away from him one thing I noticed about that flashback was the slut shaming and it was possessive. He was basically like, I, you're my girl. You're not supposed to like advertise to other people, more or less. Yeah, like don't put your wares on, on display. On display. Yeah. And but to Trina's credit, she shuts him down and is like, I'm not like your possession. I can do whatever the heck I want. And I appreciated that display, but. Yeah. But he shoved her also. He like yeah. put his hands on her and I was like, okay. And then it was like, there was this character, Yasmin, who, or Yasmin, I'm sorry, who was kind of like, third wheel may not be the correct term because it's friendships, but Trina and Najwa were friends for super long. And then Yasmin kind of joined them and she always felt like she was on the outside or whatever. So yeah. Yasmin, during the investigation, Yasmin is telling Najwa, like warning Najwa about Mark. She's like, be careful with him. And then Mark does have, in the present time, Mark does have like an outburst. And then there's that flashback with him where he slut shames Trina and he shoves her. And my issue with that, apart from the obvious, 
is that like Najwa still likes him after and she's like oh like the next page she's like oh he's passionate and emotional mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. nah girl he's abusive what are you talking about yeah that was that was a hard thing for me to kind of swallow too because I I don't think that that like that would have been like a deal breaker for me and yeah. I can understand if for Najwa she wasn't thinking that clearly or she didn't quite see or understand that yet mm-hmm. but I also don't feel like that was ever sort of appropriately addressed like exactly the whole text and context because the book ends and I'm not you know and we did say this was going to be a spoiler Spoilers. discussion. Yes. Um, you know, he's not responsible for her death, but he kind of like, they kind of end on like good terms. Yeah. And um, obviously like Najwa and Mark don't get together, but she's kind of like, oh, you know, he's a good guy. And I'm like, mm, no, no, he's not. I mean, he's not, he's not a villain, but. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he calls himself, I think, a rich douchebag at one point. <laughs> Yeah. He refers to himself as that. But my thing is, like, he didn't he at the end when that, like, there's, there are the three of them left, the three being Najwa, Putri, and Mark. Putri, again, for those who haven't read, was who Mark cheated on to uh, when he started dating Trina. And didn't at the end, didn't Mark, wasn't he like, oh, or Putri said, basically, Mark asked Putri to be his girlfriend again? Yeah. Oh, my God. So Mark and Puderi are back together. And Puderi and Najwa are tentatively friends. Yeah. Which is a good thing for Najwa because she doesn't have many friends. Uh And Puderi seems like she might be a decent friend. But I just feel like the whole thing with Mark, I, I I really wanted him to, like, have this moment of growth where he realizes, like, that that his behavior, his past behavior was not good and that he commits to changing and being better. And I feel like the author didn't give us that. And because the author didn't give us that... I struggled with his character and yeah. with, like, the implications of people just kind of, like, letting his abusive behavior pass. And I feel like this is another, and this might be just, I don't know, me, well, what would I say? My own personal things that I'm putting on to this book. But let me, I'm, I know I'm being, being vague. I feel like people let Mark get away with things because he's handsome. And I mm-hmm. felt like, especially at the beginning of the book, and at points throughout, I honestly felt like it was overly superficial. Like, I felt like, as in, as far as what people look like, I kind of felt like it was a little like that at times. But I'm also, I also realized that, you know, some people are superficial. It might just be a me thing. Like, I'm not like that super into people's looks. So it could definitely just be a me thing. But I do feel like... The case with Mark, all he had, all he would have to do is like smile because he's so handsome, and then all and would be fall forgiven. Over. Yeah, fall over, like fall down the stairs and stuff, just because he's oh my god, so handsome. And so yeah. like it kind of at the end, he was like, you know, I need to work on myself. Smile, teehee, and she's like, oh yeah. well, I guess, oh Mark, you know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah, gag. Yeah, that he, that wasn't my favorite part either. <laughs> I, I have to admit. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm reassuring to hear that you felt the same way. Yes, thank you. I yeah. Uh, okay, so the question that I want to ask because I found this to be a fun question to ask is: mm-hmm. Did you suspect the killer? Yes, I did. Okay, I suspected the killer from the beginning. Yes. Did you have? Did you? 
I did suspect the killer, although I tried to keep an open mind. And as yeah, I go along, I'm like, mm, this person, maybe this person, maybe. But I did kind of keep coming back to this one person just because of like their overall behavior. And I, I mean, sometimes I think people think like if you can guess the ending or guess the killer of a murder mystery, then therefore it's not a successful murder mystery. And I actually disagree with that. Yeah, I think you can suspect or you can guess. or you, But like for me... The definition of a successful murder mystery is not whether or not it's a surprise, but whether or not it all, like, the the story, like, works out or surprises me in some way. So there were plenty, even though I suspected the killer, there were plenty of twists and steps along the way that kept me going, ooh, but what about this? But what about that? And so I couldn't piece together the whole story. If I could piece together the entire story, like, you know, before the end, then, like, that's not great, but, yeah. but th- that was not the case in this book. And I actually did enjoy piecing it all together with Najwa and following. And then when it's revealed that the person was who I thought it was, I was like, yes, I was right. Yeah. I mean, so since we are being super spoilery, when was the time, when did you realize that it was her? Well, I suspected that Yasmin was responsible when... Najwa would have like the little sort of ruminations on her backstory and she talked about how Yasmin and Trina used to be best friends before Trina moved schools and then became friends with Najwa and I thought mm, jealousy yeah because Yasmin gets involved with Scrabble because Trina's involved with Scrabble yep. and I was like I bet she was jealous I'm not sure why or how she killed her but I bet she's responsible yeah and, and I pretty much um, the same yeah yeah. And then, you know, there's at one point when Trina is like attacked and she says that she don't know, she doesn't, she didn't see who attacked her and she's not sure what happened. And, oh, I must have just tripped, but man, maybe I was attacked. I was like, mm, no, she's faking it. <laughs> she's lying because. Trying to throw off suspicion. Oh, yeah. When, uh, when Yasmin was, um, when she like fell through herself down the stairs or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was obvious. I, I do feel, and I, I'm with you. Like, I don't mind guessing who did it. Who done it? Because I feel too sometimes, um, it, like you don't want things to become like overly convoluted just because like the author is trying to be like, oh, I bet you thought it was him and it was her and stuff like that. Like I still want like a well written mystery exactly. and stuff. So I don't mind if I'm able to guess it. Um, it just has to you know all come together in the end. But um, I mean the Josh thing too. I predicted that like how that turned out. Yeah, and again that's that's not a bad thing. Um, but Yasmin, yes, I think I, I was like, oh, she definitely did it. Of course, like you said, I was also open-minded, but when Naja was reminiscing about, um, how kind of like obsessed Yasmin became with Trina, how she would always be around, I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. she did it. And Mm -hmm. her throwing herself down the stairs, it's kind of like, I was like, nah, she's guilty with her. Yeah. What do you think of her... So she didn't actually kill Trina, though. She definitely set it up. So so this is the part that's kind of like a, you know, twisty, twisty. What actually has happened is that multiple people gave Trina substances that mm-hmm. basically they all interacted within her system in a fatal way and caused her death. Which is why I think if there had been an autopsy they would have realized like, wow, Trina has these three very distinct substances in her system that cause total organ failure. Um, And then the mystery would have been like, okay, now who gave her what? And you wouldn't know that like 
the week after the death instead of like a year later, all this coming to light. Yeah, that was the thing. That just didn't make sense. But yeah, Yasmin, you know, wanted to yeah her her motivations to me were a little bit murky in the way mm. the book resolved because she wanted Trina to kind of come back to her and then she also wanted to punish Najwa for stealing her best friend so that's partly why she kind of brings us all back um, and there's a lot of like poisoning and people having upset stomachs and you know <laughs> so and so's medication yeah. is missing so it's a lot to keep track yeah. of but yeah so that that was also a very interesting aspect to that mystery because you do kind of have to like follow all these different threads yeah did it say why Yasmin like kind of all of a sudden came back because it's like she becomes obsessed with Trina but it was like and they were friends when they were kids but I'm like where were you all this time I I can't remember exactly except for maybe she was just trying to um she was trying to get back into Yasmin's life and you know I don't know I I do remember one line was like Trina inspired intensity in people which I think (laughs) is an interesting line yes it was yeah it, it is you know and of course Yasmin's only responsible for some of the missteps that lead to Trina's death and some of, you know, the poisonings because other people are, you know, unbeknownst to them being like, here, take this pill for headaches or here, I just want you to have an upset stomach so you lose this next match. And it all kind of comes together. I I would hate to be the police officer in charge of like untangling this mess because it's like how do you decide who is responsible for what and how do you you know meet out punishment and of course the book doesn't really touch on that but yeah it was very twisty yeah it was twisty i didn't know that you could well i guess too much of anything is a bad thing but vitamin c as a poison was different not it's not like a poison poison but like you know if you if you ingest very large amounts of it, it can cause upset yeah. stomachs. So, yeah. and then St. John's wort is another thing that's being dispensed amongst people, which on its own is a natural, um, you know, supplement that can help reduce anxiety. But if you mix it with like other drugs and medication, it can be very bad news. So yeah, it was, there was a lot going on with that. There's a lot going on. Yes. So overall... What did you think? Yes, would recommend? I would recommend, but not for the mystery aspect. Because I feel like, as we've said, it wasn't... Like, I feel like it could have been flushed out a bit better. Yeah. I would recommend for for the wordiness, the word nerdiness of it all. That was fun. I would recommend it for teenagers in Malaysia, just a different setting. I thought that was really cool. And some of the in-between comments, like the, you know, conversations and stuff were fun. Yeah. Or funny. Like they have pop culture references, like, you know, like I guess American pop culture references. Those are the only ones I would get. I would understand. Um, That was cute. But for the mystery, I don't know. I felt like it, I felt like it, I fell a little flat for me. So it depends on, you know, as long as you go into the book knowing what you're going to get. Yeah. I, you know, it definitely, I think I would agree with you. I think there is a great book. There's a lot of really amazing things to like about it. And 
Um, despite my quibbles about like the setup of the mystery and kind of how it was all resolved in Mark as a character, I did enjoy reading it. Like I read it very quickly. Like it, I flew mm-hmm. through it. So it was fun. I mean, that yeah, it was a really fun book. So I'm so glad that we got to read this together and chat about it. Yeah, it was cool. It was fun. And the, I mean, the cover is very cute. Very pretty oh, cover. Yeah. I'm just gonna say, just put that out there. It's a great cover. <laughs> So, yeah, well, um, this has been really fun, and I'm sure we could keep chatting much longer about Mm -hmm. all the books that we love, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So thank you so much for tuning in, and feel free to leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, Leaving us a review lets us know how we're doing, and it helps others to find us. You can also always email us at bookriot.com for you know, book requests, book, you know, recommendations, suggestions, feedback, whatever, feel free to reach out. And don't forget to visit bookrat.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks so much to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. And how about you, Erica? I am at Erica underscore EZE underscore on Twitter. Awesome. So we will be back again in two weeks when we're going to be chatting nonfiction graphic novel memoirs, which will be fun. All right. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading. <laughs>